Hello and welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. Today, our senior pastor, Perry Duggar, will deliver a message in our series about the life of Samuel the prophet. If you would like to follow along with this message, you can do so by turning in your Bible to 1 Samuel 12, 1 through 25. You can also find our weekly message outline and many other resources on our website at brookwoodchurch.org or on our Brookwood app. discern the voice of God? Can you hear his voice in the night? Is it still hard to discern when it's God speaking? You know, his voice doesn't sound unlike your voice, but you hear it by its weight, its tone, its content. Today we continue our series, Belonging to God. And of course we're using Samuel, we're examining his life as evidence of a person who belonged to God throughout his life. He was given to Eli the priest, remember, at about three years old. Today's message is entitled Character. What is character? Well, if you take out your program, your message guide, and the first two panels are the outline, you see I have a little simple definition there. Character is the essence or the substance of a person. It's who you truly are. It's your real identity. And you you may demonstrate better character at times than is really true of you, but it's the you inside. It's the you that God sees. It's the you that you know, though no one else may see it clearly. But it does come out over time by the way we interact with God, the way we relate to other people theme verse I've chosen is Philippians 1 verse 11. May you always be filled with the fruit of salvation. The fruit of your salvation and the fruit of your salvation is the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. Who produces it? See, it's not something we produce by greater effort. It's something that God produces in us as a result of our salvation through the work of the Spirit of God. For this will bring much glory and praise to God as we're changed. After we're born again, we're conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And our character consequently becomes more and more righteous or more godly through the work of the Holy Spirit within us. Romans 8, 29. So in other words, if you're a Christian, you should be changing. You should be improving. Not that you just try to act more loving, but but your nature is more loving. You see what I'm saying? There's some transformation happening. So as we begin, we hold the mirror up. I hold it to myself. I hold it to you. What is my true character? Who am I really? The background, I'm going to deal with 1 Samuel chapter 11 today. And I mean, chapter 12 primarily, but I want to give you a little background from chapter 11. So we begin on page 232 in this book that we sell. In chapter 11, we see that Saul became king. 
He was selected as king. He was anointed as king, but he went back to the farm. When the Ammonites, who are related to the Canaanites that lived in the promised land when the Israelites first came there, when the Ammonites threatened a Jewish town of Jabesh Gilead, Saul, who was still a farm boy, he was plowing in the field, became empowered by the Holy Spirit, and he raised an army of over 300,000. But he did it with a threat. However, Saul and this army defeated the Ammonites, and Saul became king through a solemn ceremony. Now, this oppression by these Ammonites was the primary reason that the people asked for a king instead of seeking another judge from God. So Samuel saw this victory as a great opportunity, one, to celebrate this new king. He just put in place to rule, to recognize this new form of government, a monarchy, Judges had led Israel for about 350 years. There's some, that's sort of a guess, but about that long. But he also took the opportunity to remind the people that God was still their king, verses 14 and 15. The fact that Saul had led the army in a great victory would tempt the Israelites to put their faith in him instead of in God. And Samuel wanted to remind them that their future success, their preservation, their provision, their protection rested in God alone, not in any man. Now let's dial this into today. Do we rely too much on presidents and political parties instead of God? Are we more concerned about who's sitting in the White House than who's reigning from heaven? Because God is over all. He's always over all. Now, 1 Samuel 12 is essentially Samuel's farewell address. He's stepping down as Israel's judge, and he's transferring civil authority to King Saul. So in this speech... We hear Samuel's greatest concerns for the nation. But he also displays, as we look at what he's saying, he's displaying his character. So we see the the godliness of this man. And we hear it in his challenges to the people to pursue godliness as well. So I think in this speech, we see godly character revealed in at least three ways. First is regard for the people or regard for people. Chapter 12. Then Samuel addressed all Israel. I have done as you ask and given you a king. Your king is now your leader. I stand before you, an old gray-haired man, and my sons serve you. Well, the sons were pretty awful. Remember that. I have served you as your leader from the time I was a boy to this very day. So Samuel then asked the people, to assess his performance. And essentially, he puts himself on trial in front of the people with God and the king watching it, witnessing it. Verse three. 
Now testify against me in the presence of the Lord and before his anointed one. And his anointed one is who? King Saul. Whose ox or donkey have I stolen? Have I ever cheated any of you? Have I ever oppressed you? Have I ever taken a bribe or perverted justice? Tell me and I will make right whatever I have done wrong. No, they replied, you have never cheated us or oppressed us. You have never taken even a single bribe. The Lord and his anointed one are my witnesses today, Samuel declared, that my hands are clean. Yes, he is a witness. Now, the writers believe they're referring to God there, not so much the king. But anyway, both of them are witnesses to this. If Samuel had been accused by anyone, he promised to make right whatever he had done wrong. I think he shows his godliness. I believe a godly person has regard for others. And by regard, I mean he respects them. He has concern for other people's opinions and even other people's opinions about him. If you're indifferent today about people, you're not godly because God cares for and God has created and endowed every person with his image. And it's because that God is the creator. It's God planted the image, his own image within all people, men and women, that all people deserve dignity. See, if we are racist in our positions, it's because we don't recognize the image of God, the commonality of God's hand on every person. Regardless of education, financial level, race, ethnicity, it makes no difference. God has touched the soul of every living person. And because of that, every person deserves dignity respect. What about you? Or do you want to be in right relationship with everyone? Does it matter what people think about you? Or are some people, do you consider some people to be of so little significance that you don't even care what they think? Romans 12, 18. It's not a godly attitude. Would we, would I, would you, like Samuel, be willing to open ourselves up for anyone to offer criticism? For anyone to lodge a complaint against you? That's not our tendency, is it? Our tendency is to be very self-protective, not to become vulnerable. It's to battle, it's to be quick to defend, to deflect, even to counterattack if anyone raises a question about our character. If we're questioned, if we're challenged, we often resort to saying, well, who are you to judge me? You think that's a valid defense? I think it's actually a tacit admission of guilt. Who are you to judge me? How dare you judge me? You know, the scripture that says don't judge actually doesn't say don't judge. It's from the Sermon on the Mount. And it's about, you know, taking the plank out of your eye so you can take the speck. It's actually a statement about hypocrisy. And it said, don't judge in others what you have within yourself. It doesn't say 
that we shouldn't encourage each other and confront each other. We're actually called to that, but not in a hypocritical way. Now, Samuel obviously didn't use his power. He didn't use his position to enrich himself as his sons obviously did, 1 Samuel 8. He served God and he served people, all the people, faithfully, honestly. You know, he was deciding disputes among people. And he was unconcerned with who occupied the greater status or had the more money. He didn't take advantage of anyone, even the powerless. You know, I think that how we treat the weak is perhaps the greatest test of our character. How do we treat those who occupy no real status in our culture? Because that shows whether indeed we have a godly nature of seeing the image of God, the inherent value in every person. If you look down on certain people based on some status, you're lacking in godliness. Samuel wasn't afraid to invite inspection. And it wasn't because he feared the people. It was because Samuel's greatest allegiance was to God. And because of his desire to please God in every area, he obeyed the law of God. And the law spells out in great detail how God's people are supposed to relate to each other. So do you have regard for people? Do you dignify every person you encounter? Even people who have different opinions than you. Godly character is also revealed by respect for God. Regard for people and respect for God. He established his integrity as judge. Then he speaks as Israel's prophet to expose the people's unfaithfulness toward God. Verse 6 is where he begins. It was the Lord who appointed Moses and Aaron, not the people. Samuel continued... He brought your ancestors up out of the land of Egypt. They were enslaved. Now stand here quietly before the Lord as I remind you of all the great things the Lord has done for you and your ancestors. See, he offered them, he invited them to be the prosecuting attorneys against him. Now he becomes the prosecuting attorney against them, conducted like a trial. Now by offering himself first for examination he's eliminated their objection because if he had started in on them and said well you're not doing this and you're not doing that their response would have been well you're worse well you've done this too you've stolen from us you've taken from us you haven't been fair but he has silenced the accusations against him by his transparency it's interesting isn't it that our culture is so combative, there's a a real serious distortion of communication in our culture. 
there is almost nowhere, at least in any, any public forum, to have a respectful discourse among people that have disagreements. It descends into attack and um, accusation so that nothing's resolved. We, we can have differences opinion. You know what? You can disagree with me about the Bible, about certain things or certain things I even teach. And we can honor and dignify and respect each other as we discuss those things. And I'll do that if I respect you. But what we're seeing in our culture is a decline in, res- in mutual respect for each other. A lack of dignifying of each other. And there's just an attack. An accusation fills the air. It's not helpful. It's certainly not helpful in a church, but it's destroying our culture. Verse 8. When the Israelites were in Egypt and cried out to the Lord, he sent Moses and Aaron to rescue them from Egypt and to bring them into this land. The promised land, Canaan. But the people soon forgot about the Lord their God, so he handed them over to Sisera, the commander of Hazor's army, and also to the Philistines and to the king of Moab who fought against them. So you had these different ones from the north, from the south, from the central part of the country who all fought against Israel. Then they cried to the Lord again and confessed, we've sinned by turning away from the Lord and worshiping the images of Baal and Ashtoreth. Baal is a male god, Ashtoreth a female god, his consort, but it also represents all other gods. But we will worship you and you alone if you will rescue us from our enemies. Then the Lord sent Gideon, Bedan, Jephthah, and Samuel to save you and you lived in safety. Now, what we see in the book of Judges is that there's at least seven of these cycles. Disobedience of the people, idolatry in particular. Then God disciplines them, usually militarily. He sends opposing armies. And then he delivers them when they cry out for deliverance. You can read Judges 2, 10 through 23. And that happened over and over and over for about 350 years. Now, Samuel's point here is that God was always faithful. And whenever they cried out for God, even when they'd been in sin, he provided them a leader to deliver them. Though they wouldn't have needed a deliverer if they'd been faithful to God in the first place. Despite God's repeated deliverance, every time they cried out, he sent someone to lead them. The enemies were defeated. Peace reigned. But now the people want a different arrangement. Verse 12. But when you were afraid of Nahash, the king of Ammon, you came to me and said that you wanted a king to reign over you even though the Lord your God was already your king. All right, here's the king you've chosen. You asked for him, and the Lord's granted your request. See, God 
really caused his own people to be disciplined. They suffered. They repented. And then God sent a leader. Well, the Israelites want no part of that repentance. They want a leader without the need to repent and turn back to God. They want a king they can see, they can touch, they can, they can spot him, they can follow him without the need to get their hearts right with God. See, the people thought their greatest th- threat was external. They thought their greatest threat were these, these military adversaries. So they wanted a king and an army who could fight off these enemies. But Israel's greatest threat was never an opposing army. Israel's greatest threat was internal and spiritual. Their greatest threat was their lack of faith and trust in God. Do we think that the state of our nation and our well-being is dependent on which political party is in power? Or do we know that it's God that we have to seek for deliverance? You see, if we're looking for presidents to take care of all of our problems, we're asking for a king. No different than these Jews. If we want some politician, some political party to fix all our problems, have we forgotten who is our real king? I mean, some of you, you know, the election happens. Some of you are pulling out your hair, tearing your clothes, you know, you're wailing. And then the the next election, the other half are pulling out their hair and tearing their clothes. We don't need a king on earth when we have a king in heaven. Their demand for a king like all the other nations wasn't an act of repentance. Yes, they were being attacked by these Ammonites, but they didn't say, what's wrong with our relationship with God? They just said, now we need a king. We want one just like all the other nations, which were pagan, have. It was an act of rebellion against God. Remember, he told Samuel, they're not rebelling against you. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. But then Samuel goes on and reassures them, but God will not abandon you. Verse 14. Now, if you fear and worship the Lord and listen to his voice, God does speak. I know, what's her name? Joy Behar said you were insane if you heard God's voice. I don't know what voices that woman's listening to. But I want to assure you, God's still speaking. And his sheep hear his voice. You know what? I hope some of y'all turn off the TV some, please. Let me say that. Let me go ahead. I'm about to get on a platform. Some of y'all are like mainlining Fox News 
or CNN. Don't get all uppity on me. How about cutting it in half and spending that half of that time in God's word? Try it. For, give me one week. Half your time and spend it before God. In prayer, reading the scripture, see what, see what happens. You might discover that God is still on the throne. So if you fear and worship God and listen to his voice, if you don't rebel against the Lord's commands, then both you and your king will show that you recognize the Lord as your God. But if you rebel against the Lord's commands and refuse to listen to him, then his hand will be as heavy upon you as it was upon your ancestors. The king's standing right there. Do you think Samuel's scared of this king? Do you? Roscoe, is he scared? Why not? He knows who the king is, doesn't he? He knows who the king is. Don't be scared of those who can kill the body and can't destroy the soul. Here we see Samuel's character. He stands for God all the time. He didn't kiss up to the people or to the king. He wasn't concerned about their opinion of him. He was concerned about helping the people follow God. If the people and their king feared the Lord and followed him, he would continue to care for them. He would use their king to direct and protect them. But if they didn't, he would discipline. Do you believe God disciplines today when we're disobedient? Let me see some hands. I want to see some. Because if we believe that, it ought to affect our behavior and our attitudes, shouldn't it? But, but some of you, I think, think that God grew up. And so now God doesn't care what you do. Just do anything, please. I don't know how God matures. You know, we've made this discontinuity of this kind of cheap grace. I don't see it biblically. I see the relationship ongoing. Not unlike this. Now, it may not be that some king is coming from a foreign land to attack us, although we've seen attack in this nation. I don't know all the ways God effects discipline against his children in dis disobedience. But Hebrews 12 clearly says he does. Godly character is revealed in respect for God. But I want you to hear this. Now, y'all hold on. But it includes an aspect of fear, reverence, and awe. It did in the Old Testament. It does in the New, if you know God. You think? But I thought we were never to fear God as Christians because he loves us. Is that true? What do you think? He does love us, but we do fear. Now, I want you to hear this. I know this is threatening to some of you. 
But we have domesticated God and pulled out all of his teeth and given him dentures, haven't we? That's not God. That is not God. That's idolatry. This little weak God. Hebrews chapter 12, look at this. This is New Testament verse. Since we're receiving a kingdom that's unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe. For our God is a devouring fire. But after Jesus, isn't he no longer a devouring fire? What do you think, Chris? He's still a devouring fire? That's who he is. He's a devouring fire, an unquenchable fire against sin. And he never varies. His children don't receive that fire because that same fire was placed on Christ for your sake. But it isn't that he no longer minds sin. 1 Peter 1.17, another New Testament verse, says we should live in reverent fear for we will give an accounting to God for our lives. But isn't it interesting that the gospel we hear in our culture doesn't have any of these aspects. If you ever prayed a prayer when you're seven, eight, nine, then the rest is all, don't worry about anything else. I don't see that biblically. What I see is an ongoing relationship with God that should be growing more intimate and I should look more like Jesus the longer I know him. Our God does love us. I don't want you to leave here missing this. But it's a holy love that expects us to know him and relate to him respectfully, appropriately, according to his character. Does that mean we never laugh? No, God laughs. Jesus laughed. I'm not saying he's angry. I said he loves you, but understand who he is. You know, some years ago, Leanne and I met Billy Graham, and it was, it was a situation where it wasn't a big crowd. It was, um, I was in seminary, and I, and I would volunteer and run errands for the president of the seminary. And it was convocation, and Billy Graham and the president were friends, so Billy Graham showed up to preach convocation. And because I was helping do some organization, picking up people, doing some stuff like that, I was in the rotunda. Leanne and I were in the rotunda that day of the seminary administration building. And there's Billy Graham. And there's nobody really around. There's a few people, you know, nearby, but nobody. So it was just Leanne and me and Billy Graham. Now, do you think I slapped him on the back and I said, oh, it's good to see you, old Billy. (laughs) How do you think I addressed him? Yeah, but he's as humble a man. You've all read that. He was very kind to us. He acted interested in us. He was, but just the dignity of the man silences you. You know what I'm saying? And so we spoke. I I met uh, in law school, I I met Billy Carter. I mean, uh, Jimmy Carter. 
not Billy Carter. <laughs> and again, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're a Democrat or Republican, this is a great man. And so don't we all know men and women like that? That when we go in their presence, there's no way we're gonna, you know, joke and slap and chew gum and, you know, say, hey, where'd you get that shirt? Well, you're, I mean, you treat them with dignity, don't you? Don't you know people like that? Doesn't mean they're not kind to you. Doesn't mean they don't love you. Doesn't, you just, just the nature of their person causes you to address them in a certain way. Well, if I'm like that to Billy Graham, to Jimmy Carter, how much more to God? And that's what I'm talking about. Do we treat God too casually? Or do we relate to him with a deep awareness of his character, of his person? Godly character is also revealed by repentance from sin. Now, look what's happening now. Israel has won a great victory, and they're in a celebratory mood. And they believe, because they won this battle, they believe that everything is good with God. Isn't that right? Well, isn't that what we do? Doesn't matter what's going on in our lives or the morality or whether we're obeying. If, the, if my health is good and my pay is good and, 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 you know, my wife is nice to me, then I think all's well with the world. And God is shining on me. But sometimes we can be in disobedience and there's still grace on our lives. Isn't that right? So Samuel asked God to confirm his words of warning. Because haven't you seen when people are all worked up and they're all full of themselves, they don't take warnings very well. Is that true? So Samuel resorts to something supernatural. Verse 16. Now stand here and see the great thing the Lord is about to do. Again, it's like a trial setting. You know that it does not rain at this time of year during the wheat harvest. This was like mid-May to mid-June. It's a dry season. And I will ask the Lord to send thunder and rain today. Then you will realize how wicked you've been in asking the Lord for a king. See, because the victory confirmed to them they were doing the right thing, wouldn't it? They weren't going to listen to Samuel. They said, ah, come on. We got a king now. We don't have to listen to you. Here's the warning for us. Beware declaring God's approval on actions and attitudes that we're involved in that we know violates his word. And we're saying, I'm okay with God based on the positive circumstances that are in our lives. You see the, you see the warning there? Because God's word still stands. He may not discipline. He might not punish. His word still stands. 
And if we're in relation with him, we're responsible to know what pleases him. You see, God, we, we're ends driven. And if I can get what I want, then everything's all right with God. If I get the, you know, the house, the, the spouse, the job, the whatever that I want, then that must mean everything's right with God. But here, I want you to understand, God cares as much, and I might even say more, about the means as he does the ends. Because God controls the ends. And so how we seek the ends is of utmost importance because you know what it does? It shows our character. In verse 18, so Samuel called to the Lord and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day. The people were terrified of the Lord and of Samuel. Pray to the Lord your God for us or we will die, they all said to Samuel. For now we've added to our sins by asking for a king. So now they're immediately aware. Don't be afraid, Samuel assured them. You have certainly done wrong. But make sure now that you worship the Lord with all your heart. Don't turn your back on him. Don't go back to worshiping worthless idols that can't help or rescue you. They're totally useless. Isn't it interesting? Samuel's message does not vary, does it? He's the same. Well, do you think then Samuel was rather unpopular with some people? His message was always the same. Didn't matter about the audience. Didn't matter about the circumstances. But he was encouraging these people. Yes, you've made a mistake. You've rejected God, yes. But God will help you if you'll turn toward him and you'll avoid idolatry. And that's the repentance. And he continued in verse 22. The Lord will not abandon his people because that would dishonor his name. For it has pleased the Lord to make you his very own people. God never breaks his promises. We sometimes break ours to him, don't we? But God doesn't break his promises to us because they're based on his character. He's made a covenant with his people and we belong to him. See, like these Israelites, we're, not, we're saved not because of our obedience, but because of God's unchanging character. He, see, it's like this. God's not going to punish you, separate from you because of your disobedience. See, we should obey God out of love, not out of fear. If you're just trying to behave well enough to avoid punishment, that's not a very good motivation. In a marriage, do you want a marriage where you have harmony because you're afraid of what your spouse will say? Or do you have harmony because you love your spouse? The motivation is completely different. 180 degrees different. And Samuel would continue to teach and pray for them. But as for me, I will certainly not sin against the Lord by ending my prayers for you. Even if you're in disobedience, I'm praying for you. And I'll continue to teach you what's good and right. 
but be sure to fear the Lord and faithfully serve him. And then here's a final warning. He's restating it one more time. Be sure to fear the Lord and faithfully serve him. Think of all the wonderful things he's done for you. But if you continue to sin, you and your king will be swept away. This man would be infuriating, wouldn't he? Because he's so consistent. Do you have a friend like that who is so consistent in his conviction? So consistent in his character that you always know what's coming. You always know what's coming. And this person's not as worried or concerned about how popular they are with you as they are that you seek the Lord. You have anybody that loves you that way? Samuel's message remained the same despite the circumstances. And it was this. Remember God's faithfulness. Worship and serve him alone. Repent of anything that damages your relationship with him. That was his life message. What's your life message? If I took a poll of the members of your family, if you took a poll of the members of mine, the people that work around you, the people that live near you. They all have an understanding of what you stand for. What is your life message? That is the measure of your character. Our counselors will be here. They'll be happy to pray with you, to talk with you, to anoint you with oil for healing. As soon as I finish prayer, you feel free to come up. And counselors, you come up now. Father, help us to be a people who obey out of love, not out of fear. And Lord, as we submit our lives to you, pray that you would produce in us character that looks more and more like that of Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you for coming. Here at Brookwood Church, our desire is to assist you in pursuing a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience transformed life. If you have any questions about this message or you would like to request prayer, we encourage you to visit our website at brookwoodchurch.org forward slash get help. You can also find our message archives on our website or on our Brookwood app. Thank you so much for listening and have a blessed week.